We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Today on the podcast, I have a conversation with Greg Marcus. Greg and I have known each other for the better part of 10 years. Greg is one of the most thoughtful and introspective people I know. I always love talking to him about life. Currently, he's studying to be a rabbi after a career in biotech that left him struggling to find balance. His website, American Musar, is a great resource for the Jewish self-help tradition of Musar. Greg talks about the soul traits of Musar and why the goal is never to be at extremes. It's all about balance. Our discussion goes deep into the various spiritual traditions and some of the things people can do today to strive towards balance. His approach to life always gives me the inspiration to strive to be better. Greg's molecular biology background is relevant to what we're going through right now, and he gives us some ways to determine what might be information that we can trust or not trust. I think the best part of our conversation was around how to handle stressful situations, like what we're going through right now. Greg's approach is kind, considerate, with a little kick in the rear to challenge you to be your best self. He wants to reach out to those of all faiths, but in particular the people who identify as Jewish but don't participate in the religion. I always find these discussions about the deeper meaning of life to be ones that change me for the better. We all are a work in progress, and Greg's approach to life in American Musar gives us some of the tools to strive to be our best selves. Now, let's get better together. Greg Marcus, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jari. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Greg, uh, we've known each other for a little bit now. In fact, uh, I was just remembering the first time we met was when I actually gave a lecture about how to write a book, which shocking. <laughs> That, uh, that I would actually do that. Um, but I know when we first met, you were you were working on a book called uh, Busting Your Corporate Idol. Um, and now you're doing something a little bit different. So why don't you give us a little background of kind of how you came to do that and then what you're doing now. And, and you know, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Uh, sure. Well, you know, it's so funny, like so often, like a moment of crisis becomes a turning point in our life. And for me, the moment of crisis happened about 12 years ago when I was a total workaholic. I was working 90 hours a week. There was a, a product launch that had gone bad in my company that I was scapegoated for and, you know, included getting publicly humiliated by the president of the company and having all kinds of bad experiences at a trade show. And then my grandmother died in the middle of this. 
friends and I almost didn't go to her funeral because I was so work focused. So it was during this time that it was during a Jewish holiday where I had an experience which made me realize I turned my employer into a false idol because this thought like doing what's best for the company. And I said, hey, that's not what's best for me. It's not what's best for the customers. And that's what having an idol is, is having your your values pointed in the wrong direction. Yeah, so true. So that that experience kind of led me to my first book, Busting Your Corporate Idol. Uh, but as I was transforming and beginning to change, I came across this Jewish spiritual practice called Musar. And Musar teaches us how to look inside and find those parts of ourselves that cause us, cause us to get stuck, to make bad the same bad decisions over and over again. And it offers us a path towards towards balance and healing. And about five or six years ago, I founded AmericanMusar.com to be a place where people from any religion who were interested in personal transformation and, and growing and becoming their best selves, or as we would say in Yiddish, becoming a mensch, that kind of person of outstanding character, they could come and learn about the practice and, um, and start this journey of, of personal transformation. And now here we are today, we're all in a crisis. It's we 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 got nowhere to run. Yeah, we uh, here at home. Yeah, with ourselves and and if we're lucky, with with people we like. <laughs> yeah, people we love, not necessarily people we like. Sometimes. <laughs> so. Yes, that's true. That's true. There's nothing like a crisis to bring out every issue that's ever kind of been floating around. Oh, so true, so true. And I think the thing that's been really interesting to see, you know, as we've had a, a friendship over the last, I almost want to say 10 years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think it's 10 years. Yeah, and... Uh, um, I don't know, I'm far too young to have been friends with a guy like you for 10 years. <laughs> well, you're not... <laughs> 100%. Well, me too. So, but but what's what's interesting is that the um, this Musar idea and the practice, and uh, I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's probably one of the first kind of self-help programs in existence. I mean, probably one of the first, if not the first. Uh, and it, it was just fascinating how that transformation from the from the corporate, you know, busting your corporate idol or idolatry, which which it, it's actually still a really good book, and and I I highly recommend people read it because it is a excellent treatment of our obsession in the West with work, at least some of us with work. And how that can really hurt you. So, and what was interesting is that now you're actually studying to become a rabbi, and I I think that's a really fascinating story of the transformation. So how how did you how did you decide to want to become a rabbi? Well, I was I was kind of plugging away at AmericanMusar.com, and I was having. Um, I was having online workshops. I had my book. I had you know various uh, email courses that people could sign up for, free taster courses, and it was, and I started doing one-on-one, one-on-one um, -on -one coaching with people. And the more I did that, I loved all, all of the above. But the more I did it, the more I realized that I had a very limited set of tools. Like people would come to me for all kinds of of issues. And I would listen and I would help them along. And just listening to someone, you know, whether you are a coach or just a boss or a friend, just really listening with all your attention can be the greatest gift that you give to someone. But I realized that I had just a very limited set of, of tools at my disposal. And Musar is a wonderful tool, but there's just a lot of other knowledge and wisdom that's part of, that's part of uh, Jewishness. And there are a lot of people who are Jewish who are just feeling really disconnected. You know, I know this is true in Judaism and Christianity, where they, they like a lot of the basic ideas of the religion, but for whatever reason, the institutions are just not reaching them. They're not yeah, serving them. Totally. I but mean, I said, in, if I want to reach those people, I want to do it from a place of responsibility. Yeah. You know, I want to understand kind of what the whole picture is so I can kind of, as I like to say, responsibly rip up what's been done. <laughs> And replace it with something with something else, right? No, it's it's totally true. I mean, in, in Christianity right now, there's this uh, concept of spiritual but not religious, and the institutions, as you know, um, have been going through some challenges with 
lots of different things, but a lot of people are starting to become really very disconnected uh, from the organized piece of it, but still like the ritual, the spirituality. And, and I think the one thing that, at least when I've been involved uh, with with churches, because I'm, I'm Episcopalian or non-practicing Episcopalian or, you know, recovering Episcopalian or whatever you want to call it. Um, what was interesting is that the community that it created was some of the most powerful connection because of this common, common thread of, of, uh, religion. But what's interesting in the Jewish community is that the Jewish community is sort of got two pieces to it. There's the, the, the religion, but there's also the identity of being Jewish. And, I think what was interesting when you were telling me about all this, you know, uh, how the Musar works and all the, like, in the diaspora of, of, of the Jewish people, there's a lot of people that identify as Jewish but are not, you know, don't go to synagogue or are not religious. Are, are, are those the type of people you're trying to reach or are you just trying to reach kind of everyone? I mean, if I were to put my, my finger on the people I'd like to reach the most, it would probably be those people who identify as Jewish but are not participating in the religion. And I think when I started learning Musar, when I started learning some of the, the stories or the practical ethical wisdom that, that Ju Judaism has to teach and the really good advice for, for how to live your life, um, I, I said, why have they been hiding all the good stuff? You know, all <laughs> I was seeing was prayers. All I was hearing was, well, the, the really the best way to do Jewish is to follow all of these very strict rules yeah. for eating and for not driving on the Sabbath. And those are special and they have their place. And most people who follow those, that it's, it's wonderful for them. But that's not me and that's never going to be me. And that's not most people. But, but boy, to have advice on how to speak to your children, um, how to kind of maintain presence when you have a sick parent and a kid to take care of, um, how to... Um, you know, how to show up as a good person in a time when there may be scarcity or there's a lot of fear like has been going on now with the COVID. That's these are these are priceless gifts. Yeah, and I agree. That's what I would really like to, to share with people. And I do have, you know, Jews are my people. So I do on the one hand, you know, like I want to like be there for my people. Right. And at the same time, these were not like th these aren't just for Jews. These no. I really, really do feel like these are wisdom that can help anyone of, of any age, of any gender, of any ethnicity, of any religion. And I would say a third to a half of my email list are people who are not, are not Jewish. Oh, wow. It's really wonderful. Wow. That's beautiful. To have, um, to have that community of people who care about, who care about each other and are experiencing a, a journey together to try to overcome what's holding them back. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it is, is interesting, the uh, the different, um, I mean, you know, all religion has its pluses and minuses. Of course, we can debate that on infinitum. But, you know, at the core of a lot of this stuff, I think, is this, you know, love of your community, you know, be of service, you know, kind of love, love one another. And, and, and I find it's really interesting because, you know, what you're doing is a bit entrepreneurial <laughs> in this space, right? Um, and, you know, of course, I like to talk with entrepreneurs of all types. And um, that's the reason why I wanted to, to talk with you other than um, that you're a great guy to talk to and everything. But it, it is interesting. How has the reaction been? Because I can imagine that there's going to be some folks that uh, don't really <laughs> think that this is the way to go or it's a supplement to, you know, what, what the main line is doing. So how's the reaction been? I think it's been really, really mixed. I mean, sometimes, um, so there's a, there's a couple of ways to answer that. First of all, like this group of sort of more disconnected Jewish people, I probably haven't done a great job of reaching them. I've reached a lot of people who were less connected, but still pretty connected in the grand scheme of things. And the people who are, extremely disconnected they just like have their own thing going on it's just not even on their radar to look for you know if they're doing yoga then maybe they become interested in this but for the people who aren't doing any kind of spiritual practice at all i, I probably don't reach them and that's an important thing as an entrepreneur to understand is like who are you reaching who right. 
who aren't you reaching? I mean, I would say within the organized institutions, there's like a big, uh, a couple of really big Musar institutions, and they have not been particularly accepting of what I have done. They've seen it as a rival, or they tend to come from more orthodox streams. And so for me, who says I'm going to teach 100% in English and occasionally throw in a Hebrew word, because I found out that for most of the audience I want to reach, they don't not only are they not comfortable with Hebrew, right. Hebrew makes them feel embarrassed and ashamed, like they're not Jewish enough, or they yeah. need to know more. And it's incumbent on me not to make people feel ashamed. Just get, get in, get started. And once you realize that you can make progress, then if you want to learn more, then, you know, Hebrew words down the road won't be that big an issue. But, you know, it's like, oh, you're not doing Hebrew or Oh, you did a dot com instead of a dot org. That sort of makes, <laughs> makes any kind of difference. So many unethical dot orgs out there. That oh yeah. That I'm a dot com. Yeah. Is made, you know. I know. You know, because I, I don't want to spend a hundred bucks and get a board of directors and become a nonprofit. Suddenly. Yeah. You know, I'm. You know. So it's and then you know there's a lot of indifference like the big institutions. It's like oh yeah yeah that's nice that's fine but you know we've never heard of you and. And so it's, as I think many entrepreneurs would know, it's a lot of work to just build those relationships over time. Yeah. Finding opportunities to meet people and build kind of one relationship at a time. And, uh, but it's nice after five years, I have built some of those relationships. Right. And these, they are people who are really interested in kind of supporting this community and accepting support. Um, because a lot of institutions are like, oh, we got it all covered here. You do, huh? Okay. <laughs> Rarely how that's the no, case. Rarely yeah, that's the no, case. How come no men come to your events? Yeah. Yeah. Don't come to your events. Why, you know, young adults come. Why don't tell me you have it all covered? Yeah. No, it's true. You know, wake up. You know, wake up. You're, you're, you're losing the future here. No, I mean, same, same thing in, in Christianity. I mean, the, the church that I used to go to, um, was predominantly African American. Great, great church. Great bunch of people. It was the first Episcopal church in San Francisco. It's called Saint Cyprian's. Great, great, great place. It's just the most beautiful and warm people. Um, but over time, people had moved away. You know, there's the African American diaspora, or that, or Black diaspora, however you want to call it, that would leave the city and go other places. And so the the congregation started to dwindle. And, you know, there's, again, two schools of thought. I mean, because it's a Episcop Episcopalian is sort of like, I like to say it's Catholic light, but people get all angry with me about that. But it's different. It's, you know, the Protestant version, like the split, right? And so, uh, but, you know, you I know, the tutors. I, I know what's yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, bump, you know, but, but if you look at the bums and pews, right, like ah, that wasn't happening. Uh, and it was, it was, um, lot of struggle to figure out how to bring people back into an institution that had been, you know, it's part of the kind of the Catholic umbrella. So there's a lot of, you know, challenges that they are going through and, and just generally organized religion in the, the developed world is declining, depending on what you look at. There's the evangelical megachurch that are rising, but then the, the kind of the mainstream quote unquote mainstream religion isn't. And so, you know, they, they were trying all these new things. And so I think now, yeah, I, I don't go anymore, but I think now they've got uh, something called middle circle, which is sort of the uh, equivalent of what you're trying to do for the uh, spiritual, but not religious or the non, you know, non affiliated. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, there's a young, young pastor named uh, Anders Peterson, who, who sort of started that um, effort and another guy named Will Scott who started it before him. And they're all young, you know, younger, younger priests trying to figure out, you know, well, what's, what's going on. And so it, you know, it eventually evolved to this middle circle thing, which was sort of like what you're talking about, having a place where people of all different denominations can kind of come. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the Sunday service, I mean, you know, we were lucky to have 10, 15 people and the place could hold 300 you know, and right. at its height, it would hold 100, 200 easily on a Sunday, you know, with the whole everyone in their Sunday bests, you know, the hats and the whole thing. Because there's old, these old, uh, like, 
bulletins and um, they're almost like yearbooks for the church. I don't remember what they're called, but they're these entire books full of all the people that were members all in these beautiful hats. You know, <laughs> It was the thing, right? It's, you know, not, not like Baptist, but similar, right? Yeah. Um, and so what, what's really interesting is that as people try to find that level of community, which used to be part of um, churches and synagogues, and they find it in other places, um, could be, you know, online group or whatever. Uh, and what's really interesting about what you're, what you're doing now, especially during the, the COVID-19, you know, pandemic, um, is you're taking this even more to, to people that are feeling very lonely and um, disconnected. So how's that been? How's the kind of shift to online and you know, trying to trying to meet people where they are and, and try to form that connection? I mean, it must be, well, must be a challenge. Yeah, I've been doing online workshops on and off for a couple of years. And usually, you know, I think the best one I'd done, like maybe for the Jewish New Year, I'd get like a dozen people, you know, I'd charge like, like 18 bucks. So this was right. not like a big, <laughs> huge and expense. I, and I offered scholarships for people who couldn't afford that. So, um, but people have really liked them. So I'm familiar with how to run and I run a lot of in-person sort of groups. So I'm familiar with kind of what works and what doesn't work in an online environment. And with so many people feeling isolated and afraid and overwhelmed, I decided to start holding um, a weekly, uh, what I call it, a, a, a Musar community gathering. It's basically a place for people to come together and share what they're going through and get, um, and get some Jewish framing and ways to kind of think about this. So within Musar, I talked about you know, you kind of look inside and find out what's holding you back. Well, the the thing that, that we focus on is are things that are called soul traits. They're things like their character traits, humility, patience, uh, trust, truth, honoring other people. And so each week we go through a different one of these. And it has been just incredible. Like the first week we had probably 50, the subsequent weeks we've had 30 to 40. Wow. And the, the key thing I realized and what's, there's two ways that are, things that are really important to me when I, when I'm facilitating a Mozart group is one, I'm leading from the front. I am facilitating the group. This is not about me teaching things. It's about me holding a space and allowing people to kind of experience their own journey. So in order to do that, I need to be vulnerable and I need to share. It's like, Hey, you know, I really had a meltdown yesterday. It's not nice to my wife and kids, you know, apologized afterwards, but I realized that I've been so busy taking care of everybody else that there was nothing left for me. And I just had a meltdown. So when I share that with the group, it gives everybody the signal that, okay, we're going to get real. Yeah, you know, we're going to talk about this. And so within like a big group, if there's 50 people, we can't go around and have everybody share. But I'll say in the chat box, type in a word for what's how you're feeling. And then people have a chance to kind of share in that way. And we'll have some discussion. But then at the end, I use this feature of Zoom called Rooms, where I split everyone up into pairs. And then within that environment, people can share one-on-one confidentially exactly what's going on with them wow that is so exactly what people need yeah just need somebody to hear them they just need totally random yeah you know i'm not like trying to i'm just gonna like trust that things are gonna work out and you know once last week these two women were both children of holocaust survivors wow current trauma has brought up a lot of trauma yeah like Reemerged. I spoke with someone else who was telling me um, the trauma of the AIDS epidemic has, has come back for him with all of this. So, for sure. um, so you know, but those two women, you know, they just found each other randomly in the same room together, and they could share this experience in a way that was meaningful to the two of them, which none of us who who haven't had that kind of background or upbringing would have found that connection. But even when there isn't that, that sort of special resonance, people have really had incredible experiences just for five minutes connecting soul to soul. 
with someone else. Yeah, we we so need that connection. Even, I mean, ideally, of course, you know, in person, so all five of our senses can be engaged, and you know, we can feel, feel, touch, and you know, I don't know if you feel someone's energy, but you can you can definitely know you're in uh, when you're in a physical space with someone that there's there's just something right, especially if you get along with them and you like them. If you don't like them, then you feel something else. You're like ah, you know. But but I I can definitely relate to feeling the um, anxiety and trauma of this sort of sequestering thing um, for when you know when Jane was sick and you know we literally it's exact this is exactly what had to happen you know she didn't have an immune system she had leukemia so it was she was sequestered more than I was but it was literally like you only have to go out for essential things and come back because I can't be around sick people because if I get her sick, she doesn't have an immune system, you know, the world's not going <laughs> to, doesn't like that. So a lot of that experience, I don't know if it's trauma. Well, it probably is trauma because I've had to deal with it in various other ways. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm writing about that right now in my next book. But I, I find that uh, this connection to a group and being able to kind of hold ourselves up together and have a shared experience, no matter where you are, no matter who you are. I mean, the one good thing about this is that, you know, the whole world's dealing with this. It's just not just like China or uh, Europe or, you know, China with SARS or the Middle East with MERS or whatever. Um, do, do you think that through through this sort of shared experience that, that we'll have a better world when we kind of get out of it? That I, I certainly hope so. And I think um, it, it really depends on, on, on what our choices are and what actions we take when this is going on. Like one, one thing which I think was really unfortunate, and I hope it wasn't deliberate, was this idea that we should practice social distancing. No, no, we should be practicing physical distancing. You know, that's right. one of the most are lessons if you look at the very beginning of the bible and the story of genesis the world was created with words and so these words are out there that we need to be socially distant no we need to be physically distanced we need to be socially close to one another right totally and so if we have an experience of social closeness where we say um wow we really do need each other we really do all these invisible people who've been driving the Ubers and the lifts and have been working in the grocery stores, these invisible people, we couldn't live without them. No. And they're risking their lives. You know, I sort of joke about it. It's like, a, it's like, you know, toss a coin to the Witcher. Like for those of you who saw the, the show, the Witcher, you know, it's a, about a, a guy who fights mythical creatures and keeps these villages alive, but he's really despised. So, so somebody makes friends with this troubadour who writes this song trying to give him a better better view. Suddenly we realize these people, um, yeah, you know, we need each other. And maybe we'll say, hey, if we all work together, we could defeat this disease. And maybe if we all work together, we can defeat gun violence or we can defeat climate change. But there's people on the other side who are freaking out. Like for a while, all these billionaires are like, everybody has to go back to work. Everybody has to go back to work because suddenly people said, no, work is not what's most important. What's most important is keeping people alive. So the, this, the people in the, for the status quo are really fighting hard and trying to fight to create a, a narrative that this is about, you know, the economic damage is worse than the disease. So no, it isn't. You know, the economic damage was always terrible, was always unjust. Um, the people weren't given sick leave. And it's just now when people are dying from that injustice that we're really noticing that. It's certainly accelerating a lot of things. And I think, you know, the, the entrepreneur community, at least the ones that I know that are uh, stepping up as well, I think is really great. And, you know, even what you're trying to do with providing a space for that social connection, you know, physically distant social connection, which I do, the words matter, I agree. And I sometimes get those words wrong occasionally when I talk, but, you know, words matter. And that is so important. We do need each other. 
uh, the whole ecosystem um, from the person that picks up your trash to, that gives you your groceries, that takes you in the Uber to the scientists that are trying to figure out how to, you know, get uh, do the antibody test, excuse me, or a vaccine or that are, you know, on the front lines of healthcare. Uh, it, yeah. I hope this will be like what happened in World War II with the greatest generation. I hope that, you know, this generation will then, you know, be the next greatest generation in terms of, hey, we need to pull together and the pettiness of, you know, our minor differences, my hope is will go away. And, you know, you see, I see a little bit of that. I mean, especially the entrepreneur community um, that I'm pretty involved with. There's a lot of people that are like, how can I help? You know, and that's, kind of what we do best is <laughs> look at chaos and go find an opportunity to help. So that's right. Um, yeah. I've seen a lot of people stepping up, a lot of entrepreneurs stepping up, a lot of landlords yeah. um, giving rent for a couple of months or um, cutting rent or, um, you know, people just like ham out of toilet paper on next door and someone's like, okay, I'll leave some on my porch, you know, message yeah. me, you can come get some. So it's, it's, you know, it's certainly here, and it's a reminder of what we're we're capable of. But are we willing to do the work to, you know, heal the spiritual sickness that has gripped this country and has gotten us to this place? You know, the spiritual sickness of disrespect and demonization of other people. Um, and that's, um, you know, if we if we can, and I think more and more people are, people are awake and they're paying attention now. And I think the entrepreneur community who's used to kind of living on the edge <laughs> a great For source sure. of leadership to say, yeah. hey, you know, we know, yeah, we're, we're in competition for business, but we also know that we need other entrepreneurs to partner with and to work with. And, you know, my business can't do it all on its own. And if I don't have other people to buy and co-promote with, you know, I'm sunk. Yeah, no, we all are. I mean, in, and, you know, there's, of course, there's those entrepreneurs and companies that, you know, make part of the problem. Um, and partly that's because, you know, us as a society have sort of, I mean, we've let it happen in some ways, but also we do benefit from it. But my, yeah, I, you know, it is interesting to see the dynamic shift from the I would almost say not excess, but like frivolous things to like what really matters. Uh, and, and, and I think, I think that's what happened during, you know, the great, the great generation in world war two, where everyone for, for years had to, okay, we need a victory garden. We need to do this war production. You know, we're fighting the, the axis of evil and we're not the axis, but the axis powers and, um, trying to, you know, build a better world and, uh, it's, it is, it is fascinating how, how it hopefully will all turn out to be better for everyone. But, uh, but I, I have to mention that before you were doing all this, you actually were in biotech. So is there any, <laughs> is there any like source of truth that you could offer me <laughs> to like, okay, you should read this or pay attention to this because, you know, for what we're going through right now, there's a lot of misinformation there's a lot of uh conflicting information and i think you know if there's any sort of source of truth or close to the truth that that you've been reading or that you you know you could give us some insights into that you know usually i've, I've just been relying on my own internal bs detector and i haven't kind of gone into the weeds about how um like i've sort of understood why the testing was a, such a problem for such a long time. And when they'd say something was missing, I could kind of understand that. But was was just very clear was the lack of planning and lack of coordination where I could have said, hey, we need to reach out to all these different groups and have everybody, you know, like my friend in Massachusetts, he runs a research lab at a hospital. They took all his, you know, he donated all his PCR machines. He volunteered to go in and help out. And I just haven't seen like a national effort to sort of make use. I mean, here in the San Francisco Bay Area, my God, we have more hospitals and biotech companies than anywhere. Yeah, it's Did true. Did anyone reach out to them and say, 
you know, send us your kit, send us your equipment. So that's the perspective I can offer, but I don't really have a, uh, you know, I have tremendous respect for Anthony Fauci, um, but I don't have like one, one source to go to, I'm afraid that I can, that I can recommend. Okay. Well, just, just so, just so you should probably say your background a little bit. So, uh, before doing all this, like what you, what you studied and what you were doing. I I have a, a PhD in molecular biology. I used to study gene regulation, um, so I really, and then I, I worked uh, at companies like um, Applied Biosystems and Affymetrics, which were doing like molecular biology-based research tests using microarrays or wonderful PCR test called uh, TACMAN, which is developed COVID, COVID testings. And these are, are wonderful technologies. So I, I really do, um, I really do get this stuff. I really understand sort of the, you know, what it means in order to do a test. And it's a little, it's very scary to see our government um, throwing away good science to just say, um, hey, I'm, I'm promoting this, this cure, which has not been tested, which has not been proven in any way. And um, it's just come out that, you know, the president has a financial stake in the company that's making this, this, supposed cure yeah are the fda is being pressured to approve tests which don't have good science yeah my god can you believe yeah i got tested okay i'm negative oh by the way the test doesn't work because no one ever proved that it worked yeah that's pretty bad other people so yeah that's pretty bad so you know these are societal leadership decisions so i would really you know you know, ask questions about, you know, what's the science behind that? What was the study behind that? I would be very skeptical of any sort of internet cures, internet tests. I would try to go with kind of well-established companies, uh, things that your doctor tells you to do. Um, The last thing we want to do if if we're looking at an economic downturn is waste our money on stuff, which is a scam. Yeah, and a lot of grifters come out in pandemics, <laughs> as, right. as you know, and and right. and it's just it's it's almost. I mean, it's criminal. I mean, it is criminal, but morally and ethically, just completely criminal to yeah. put out these fear. You know, these cures that are like, oh yeah, this will cure. I mean, you know, again, and and I appreciate the the candor and the honesty on that because again, like, there's a lot of people that. I mean, they listen to the news all day, which I don't recommend. I recommend, like, look, don't get what you got to get, then shut it off because it's just going to spin you up. And so, at time, which I was doing for a while, that was a terrible. Mistake. Yeah, yeah, never, never watch the news before bed. Re- read a good book, yes. uh, preferably paper book, preferably you know one of Greg's books on. Yeah, or the app. Ethos. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Inspiration. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate. It. We're we're both fanboys of each other, so we can we can yes, do that. But true. um, yeah. It, it. I find. I find when it comes to this connection of, kind of, disparate people around the country that have different levels of sort of practice of mindfulness and spirituality and and all the um i don't know i mean there, there's so many traditions that you could you could look at i mean you you chose judaism obviously because you know you probably grew up in in a jewish household and you know that sort of resonated with I did, you in fact. you what i did in fact grow up in a jewish household oh, okay and uh so how how do you apply that on a daily basis like what is some of your daily routine to kind of keep level you know i mean i know obviously that can happen some you know you blow up <laughs> you know you have a fight like everyone does but what what are some of your daily habits that help you yeah so musa is a is a practice and you know like a religion you go to your service you go home um you can think of a practice as something like yoga where you can go to the yoga studio and do some stuff on the mat but if you really like get into it you'll be doing some of the poses every day you'll develop a mindset every day so musar offers a structure where in the morning you'd have like a you know 
a recitation phrase which you would meditate on or say out loud or some people even chant it or sing it to like a tune on the radio so let's look at something like generosity where generosity you know maybe the recitation phrase is opening the hand opens the heart and then throughout the day you kind of look for opportunities for generosity and one of the key generosity and and then you would also pick an action that you would do because the way that we change ourselves the way that we change our soul or the way that we rewire the brain if you prefer that is is by taking action so a philosopher about a, a thousand years ago he said that it's better to instead of giving a hundred dollars once give one dollar a day for a hundred days because that repeated act of generosity will actually open the heart and change change who you are and then the third part of um the third part of the, the practice is to journal at night and different people have different relationships to journaling a lot of people don't do this a lot of people are uncomfortable but if you're looking to get out of your comfort zone try journaling a little bit and just write down whatever is in your head or looser journaling it's what's you know, how did generosity show up for me today? So this idea of giving every day is a practice that I'm, I'm really trying to do. I'm trying to frequently make small donations. Like um, there's a, a couple of organizations in, in Oakland, uh, which is uh, across the bay from where Jari and I live, where they're refurbishing computers and getting them to kids who are digitally disconnected. And if yeah. you imagine being a high school student from a low-income person, you have to learn at home on the computer, except you don't have a computer. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of disconnection on that for you sure. You are totally sunk. You are yeah. already behind. And yeah. Now, so finding ways to close that digital divide or um, giving money to Second Harvest is another one, but there's just a lot of people who are not getting enough food. Um, so just to, even, and there's a Jewish teaching, even people who receive charity are supposed to give charity. So that's something that all of us can do is to really look around at who really needs help. Um, or if, if I'm one who's, who's giving up so much help that I don't have enough for myself, it's like, well, how can I get help? Who can I ask for help? Is there an organization that can bring me food or call me and make sure that I'm being taken care of? So those are some of the ways that we can kind of engage with this practice, which at the end of it, if you do all of that, you will come out a different person you really will be changed and whatever world we're living in once this round of COVID passes, you'll, you'll be a different person. You'll be a more mensch-like, a more a person of higher character, able to face whatever comes along. So you, you do that every day. I do. And is it each week is a different soul trait or each month or how does it work it depends uh usually i do a two-week cycle where i change every two weeks and then at the end of and i go through 13 and at the end of those 13 i circle back to to the first one other times i do a monthly cycle right now i'm doing a weekly cycle just because oh. I'm, I'm doing doing it in concert with what's with with what i'm doing with the community right right so c can you just briefly tell us the 13 because I mean, there's more than 13 right this is just like oh, the yeah. core 13 yeah there's there's dozens i mean assaulted is something where having too little is just as bad as having too much oh interesting so for example patience is a soul trait and as we're all probably familiar if we have too little patience we can be prone to anger and frustration but if you you have too much patience maybe you're staying in a bad job you're staying in a relationship you're not taking action you're just kind of enduring the, the 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 bad the bad juju without without taking action. So the ones I cover in my book, let's see if I can rename all of these. It's humility, patience, enthusiasm, trust, gratitude, silence, order, equanimity, truth, fear, awe. Um, well, that's ten. Um, I cannot remember the other three. We'll we'll we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> Honor, honors one. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, uh, along three with it is we kind of figure out where we are, and then there's like some 
you know, in the chapter, I'll give you some of the, the teachings sort of side by side with a modern, a modern application. And I'll give some suggestions for practices and I'll give you some excerpts from my journal from when I was first practicing these sort of some of the challenges and triumphs that I had as I was, as I was taking them on. And I think on your site, do you kind of provide a, like a little test on where you're at with these? I know you've done this before. I'm just curious if you still do that. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, on my website. There's something called the Soul Trait Quiz, where you can look at each of the 13 traits, and you'll you'll be rated kind of from low to high, and then you get a little graph where you'll sort of see see where you where you sit with respect to these traits. And the the interesting thing is, so many people have told me just taking the test help them think about things in a new new way it's like wow i never thought it would be bad to have too much enthusiasm but i realize <laughs> that, that keeps making me run in half-assed into all these situations uh, i haven't, so haven't thought through and that i should maybe be a little take things a little you know look before i before i leap and um so that's that's available on uh, americanmoosard.com it's free you can take it without giving an email address and if you are interested in the results, then you can give your email address and take, you know, get a couple of emails to help you go a little bit deeper. Um, it, that, um, something which everyone is, is invited to do for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I took it actually when you first did it. And, um, it, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's sort of like, well, yeah, I sort of knew that about myself, but when it's like on a, print it out on a page and you can look at it on one page and you can be like, okay, there's some imbalance, um, in my, in my life. And, you know, as things evolve in the world, I mean, of course you get better at some and then some slide back. I think that's the nice thing about, you know, the, the practice of this is that they're, they, you cycle through them because, you know, you, you focus on one thing and then hopefully as time goes on, you get better on everything. And of course, there's going to be some things that are going to be a lot harder. <laughs> you know, for me, I'm, I'm way too enthusiastic. So <laughs> most entrepreneurs are, we, we love the shiny, you know, shiny new object syndrome, which a lot of us have because it's like, oh, the next new thing. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating how, you know, I've seen you over the last decade uh, kind of transform what you're doing and, and sort of the more entrepreneurial you've become. Because um, I think, you know, when we first met, you're like, oh, I got this book. It's great. You know, <laughs> now what? <laughs> and uh, yeah, well, once this book gets out there, just wait for the money to flow. And the yeah. No. Yeah. Print a check, right? Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. and so, you know, like, like all entrepreneurs, right? <laughs> uh, yes. And, 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 you know, authors are similar to entrepreneurs in the fact that, you know, we create something. We hope people will, uh, give us the honor of purchasing it. Uh, and then, you know, using what we've done and it's a, it's a hit or miss kind of thing for no fault of your own. I mean, anyone can write a great book, hard to write like a bestseller or something that actually sells because that's just a challenge. It's just, just the entrepreneurial journey. So I am, uh, I mean, for this, this book, I did something a little differently where I went and I, you know, I talked to people who are kind of in this disconnected Jewish class to really understand like where, what was holding them back. And as I mentioned before about the Hebrew and making people feel ashamed, that's how I figured that out. Wow. Like I knew that the Hebrew was an issue, but I didn't know why it was an issue. So I was like, okay, well, now I understand why it's an issue. I could tailor the book to make it more accessible. It's like if nothing else, you're not going to feel like, oh, I'm not Jewish enough or oh, I'm not Jewish at all. Is this okay for me to read? You know, it's like, yeah, it absolutely is. You know, these are, um, and some of these, you know, more traditional is like, well, you know, you don't get Hebrew and you're losing some of the meaning. And I'd say, hey, that's on me. That means I have to work that much harder to, to communicate the meaning. Yeah, no, like for sure. entrepreneur. Exactly. You, know, you can throw something out, just cut corners, or you can make the extra work to make it exactly what's going to delight somebody, and then you have a product that's going to sell. Yeah, and I and I think that's the real interesting takeaway from from what you're doing, and anyone that wants to do something new is like you really got to find that target audience, that target market, the 
the minimum viable product, which we always say in the entrepreneur game, that's going to resonate with that tribe of people, that group of people that you're really trying to serve. And I think what's really fascinating about all sorts of groups, all sorts of new movements or new movements or movements that are trying to um, kind of get into being is that the, the activist mindset is really an entrepreneurial mindset because the activist is trying to change opinion. The entrepreneur is trying to change the status quo to, to buy their product. Both are dealing in ideas and it's important to know which ideas are going to resonate. And it sounds like, you know, through, through your work and through your books and, and through this community that you're really finding that resonation or the, the resonant voice of what people are really yearning for, especially now. So I applaud you for, uh, for doing the effort and just, you know, can't wait to see how it all plays out. Well, thank you, Jerry. Me too. Um, when I, whenever I figure that out, you'll be the first to know. <laughs> well, I, I'm looking forward to actually having coffee with you in person because that's what we normally do, uh, but, that's but, right. but not anymore. So, so Greg, uh, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. Uh, stay safe, continue the great work you're doing, and uh, hopefully we will uh, get together soon and have a cup of coffee. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting thedailymba.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, the Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest that you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about in this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time... Keep getting better. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.